0: You're listening to audio from The House, located in Kelowna, B.C. If you'd like to check out more resources, please visit us at thehouseonline.ca. We are in a, a new series this morning. We're going to take a look at the book of Luke, and we're not going to walk through it specifically in a chapter-by-chapter chapter or verse-by-verse verse arrangement, but we're going to start in, in here as we're now into June, and June, July, August, just kind of looking through the gospel of Luke and pulling out some of the stories and things that, that are inspiring to us and some of the things that we, we want to focus in on. And um, it's important to, to know this about Luke, that he actually wrote... More the Apostle Luke wrote more of the New Testament on a word count than any other New Testament author. Uh, he's, his, his word count surpasses all other writers. So between Luke and Acts, he has written a, a, a significant volume of, uh, of theology. And Lukean theology, which is what we would call the, the, the writings and the, and, the, and the teachings of Luke, Lukean theology is noted for a couple of things. It's noted for being uh, very inclusive of women and Gentiles. So we remember that uh, the the early church came out of a Jewish background, a Jewish worldview. And so Luke, we see, is probably come from a Gentile background because he opens up a different perspective than some of his counterparts, is very inclusive of of women, very inclusive of Gentiles in the gospel story. And the other thing that we see in Luke, and it comes through in Luke theology, is that um, it's very connected to the Holy Spirit. And we see this in, in Luke and Acts actually being... Uh, part one and part two of the same work. We know there's the Synoptic Gospels, which are three of the Gospels that are very similar, and then there's the Gospel of John, which is very unique in its stories and recordings. And um, Luke was placed in order of the Scriptures and the canon with Matthew and Mark because it's a Synoptic Gospel. But really, it is Luke and Acts are one book. They're one work. And um, they, they tell the same story with a little bit of a different characters, but, but the same application. And so in the book of Luke, we see the story is of Jesus going out, finding the disciples, teaching them, mentoring them, forming spiritual community with them, and, and establishing the church. And then in the book of Acts, we see that that, that that group, that community, is about 120. And it really is the core of the disciples, the apostles, this group of, of 120, that... Um, if you remember Jesus, he's, he's baptized, and we'll look at this, and he receives the, 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 he receives the Holy Spirit. And then we have the, the book of Acts. We have the disciples in the early church receiving the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and then them going out. So where Jesus gathered the lost, he gathered disciples and formed spiritual community and began that work. The early church does the same thing where they go out and they gather the lost and they begin to build spiritual community in Judea, Samaria, and the outer ends of the earth. And so they're a mirror story of one another. And what we see are the things that Jesus teaches and models and walks through in the life of the disciples in the book of Luke are the things that they apply and they learn from and they use as they begin to live out their life in Christ in the book of Acts. And so there are some significant things here. So we're we going to start this morning. I want to just have a, a really quick look. at we're, we're going to focus on more from the, the adult point of Jesus This morning, not looking at the early part of Luke, his uh, foretelling of his coming, uh, his the the nativity scene, the childbirth, the stories of of as a young boy in the temple, those things. We're going to look at the uh, the beginning when the baptism of Jesus happens, a water baptism, which is one of the first things that he does, or the first thing he does as an adult. And it says this: It says, one day when the crowds were being baptized, uh, this is by John, uh, Jesus himself was baptized. As he was praying, the heavens opened. And the Holy Spirit, in bodily form, descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, You are, are my dearly loved son, and uh, you bring me great joy. So th- the baptism represents a dying of self, a dying of, of living life uh, according to own terms, and a denying of self and yielding, uh, yielding oneself to the Lord. Yielding oneself to, to God's call and God's ministry and the agenda of, uh, of, of God the Father. And the Holy Spirit coming upon Jesus at this time represents the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide Jesus in ministry. And remember, everything that Jesus does, we learn that he's doing it as a model for us. He's, he's, he's doing it to show us some things. And so this is a, this baptism of yielding to self of denying self to live for God in the anointing of the the power of the Holy Spirit is a significant part of what Jesus does before he actually begins public ministry. It's out of this experience that he then steps into public ministry. And so this is important. And we see this same pattern happening in uh, in the disciples in the book of Acts. And so immediately following Jesus' baptism, uh, right before he begins public ministry, The Holy Spirit leads Jesus into this wilderness experience. And it's in the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil for 40 days. And Jesus goes on, on his fast for 40 days. And the temptations of Jesus, they show us that there is opposition. Think about Jesus yielding to self declaring allegiance and identity to God the Father and and committing to, to, uh, to live for the Father, to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and then to immediately go in and face temptation. And so what we're seeing is that there will be opposition. There will be things to distract a Christian life, to sidestep, sidetrack a Christian life, get us off point and off focus. And Jesus immediately goes in and he faces temptations. And what he does is he shows us some things and and overcomes them. And there's some specific things in here that are worth looking at. So I want to take just a minute, because I think it's helpful for our context, to read these scriptures to you this morning. Luke 4, 1 to 13... Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, again, this is Luke in theology, he's full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time, and he became very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, The Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world at a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. And Jesus replied, the Scriptures say you must uh, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. And the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the Scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, The Scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. Now, scholars would believe that these are not the only temptations Jesus would have faced. He is in the wilderness experience being tempted for 40 days. And likely he was tempted outside of just this 40-day experience. But we are given these specifically for a reason. And looking at the temptations Jesus faces, it's my conviction that they're a prophetic warning to specific temptations that we in the church need to be aware of, that we need to be careful of. And in the same way Jesus overcame them and entered into an effective ministry of the Holy Spirit, as the same way the early church had to overcome them, the same way we have to overcome them in order to have and live in an effective ministry of the Holy Spirit with, uh, with the kingdom of God today. And so the first temptation is what I would say is comfort. And um, the meaning of this first temptation is, again, best understood in the context of remembering that Jesus is being tempted during a 40-day fast. And Luke 4.24 says Jesus ate nothing at all the the whole time, and he had become very hungry. Then the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus said, no, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. So Jesus is very hungry. And the temptation of bread will make everything seem better. It will comfort him. It will comfort his discomfort. It will take it away. It will take away the pains and all, and and it will make everything good again. Now, the longest I've ever fasted, and I know some people have fasted for 40 days. I know people who have done that. I know people who have done that uh, more than once. The longest I've ever fasted is um, is 10 days. And um, I've had had nothing but water during the day, and at night, on, on the fast that I did, and I, I would take a, a pot, like a big soup pot, and I would just throw in some, some vegetables, just some, like some celery and some whatever, and just boil it for a bit, just to get some nutrients into, into the water and kind of scoop out the veggies. And, um, and then I would have that at, at night and, and uh, you know, chill it down. Sometimes I'd drink it warm because it felt a little bit different, and, and, I, would, and I would drink some of that, that broth. It was incredibly bland. It um, didn't have seasoning in it, you know, there was no vegetable seasoning or anything, it was just the vegetables, but it just, it, it, it did have a, a, a few nutrients. I'm not sure that was cheating or not, but let me tell you, the little tiny bits of vegetables that would sometimes get in your mouth were heavenly. And, um, and I, you know, it's almost like, and this is, this is a little bit, this is a little bit disgusting, okay, but you know when you eat a really good big meal and you get something caught in your teeth and you pick it out and flick it? <laughs> Okay, I was saving those little bits and eating them. Like the, the, this, the little tiny bits of, of vegetable that had come off in the broth. I would get one in my mouth and just, mmm. And you know, when you're, your body, when you're on a fast, your body will tell you that it's hungry. It's like it announces to you, what are you doing to me? have you forgotten about me? I don't like you. Feed me right now. And it reminds you throughout the day. You're, and, 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 and this idea of a fast is, um, is a spiritual discipline to demonstrate your dependence on God above other things. It's part of why Jesus endures the, the temptations, is because he's making a higher declaration, a higher commitment to Jesus. It's a, fasting is an act of self-denial, a way by which we declare our spiritual self has mastered our physical self. Like when the, when the hunger comes up, when you're fasting, you're on a fast, it's like when that hunger comes up, it's like you can say, take that body, take that flesh, I'm, I'm in charge. You're not in charge of me, I'm in charge of you and you deny it, and you deny that hunger, and you kind of push it down. And you're learning to master the appetites and the hungers of the flesh. The spiritual application is that our body's appetite for food mirrors the appetite of our flesh for the comforts of this world. And just like our desire for food, we can have the desires of the flesh. We, we We can feed the desires of the flesh, we can, we can give them everything until it's like you can't have any more. You're totally satisfied. And just like a great meal, just like eating food, it can just be a short time later and we get hungry again and the appetite returns. And it's the same as that the desire for things of this world, the earthly desires of the flesh. And the devil tempts Jesus to break his fast with a nice warm uh, f- uh, loaf of fresh baked bread. Probably had organic, freshly churned butter. It was probably a, a nice steaming, warm loaf of sourdough with cheese and herb, and, and, um, and, it, was a, and it was so tempting to, to Jesus. And um, he tries to get Jesus to deny his spiritual commitment by tempting his physical hunger of the flesh. You're hungry. This will fill you up. This will take away your struggles. This will take away your pains. This will make you content. Eat something. It will make you comfortable. And the temptation of turning a stone into bread is Jesus showing us that we have to decide between being spiritually faithful or earthly comfortable. Those two are not always compatible. Think about the early followers of Jesus and all the things that they would face in the coming days as the early church. They were mocked and hated and persecuted for their belief in Jesus. They were beaten, imprisoned. They were even killed. They were martyred for their faith. They were forced to scatter, to live underground. Their choice was to deny Jesus and escape the persecution or stay faithful to him and potentially lose everything. My choice today to follow Jesus is very different than that. I don't want to choose between being comfortable and being faithful. I want both. Like comfort is my jam. I love being comfortable. We all love being comfortable. And you know, the irony is that the more comfortable we become, the more our spirit falls asleep. You see, comfort... If you want to tweet something today, I think this is awesome. Comfort kills the urgency of the Spirit of God. The more comfortable we are, the less urgent the things of the Spirit seem to our lives. It's easy to put them off for another day. It's easy to push the voice aside. It's easy to get sidetracked and just kind of get wooed to sleep. Comfort is killing our growth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hijack and steal a Brene Brown quote that I'm going to change a couple words, but it says you can choose comfort or you can choose growth, but you cannot choose both. Hers is you can choose courage uh, or you can choose growth, but you can choose comfort or you can choose growth. Um, a couple of, well, let me, let me, let me backtrack. My, my wife got a job with WestJet, um, in may sometime like or beginning of may so like the f- and family can fly for free or like kind of next to f- we have to pay the airport fees and the taxes and stuff so so um in may i flew like four times it's awesome and um and so my daughter turned 12 my youngest daughter turned 12. and so uh we got on an airplane we flew to vancouver uh rented a car got a night in a hotel just wanted to have like a dad daughter fun weekend make a memory and um, the hotel we got was awesome, right downtown Vancouver. And um, just to make some memories, took her out for dinner, had a date night, and uh, we did everything. Science Center, Stanley Park, Jericho Beach, English Bay, Robson, shopping, the whole bit. We jammed a lot in. The next day we got up, uh, did some things, and, and, and came back. So a quick trip. But while we were there, the hotel had bikes that you could use. And um, there were adult bikes, and, um, and they give you the helmet and they give you the bike. You can bike around downtown Vancouver. My, my daughter wanted to do it. So they brought the bikes around. We got them. She saw how big it was. And she realized it was a little bit of a different kind of feel. It was harder to kind of balance. And she felt way, she just felt insecure. And then, and then all of a sudden, it's like the noise and the rush of the downtown Vancouver traffic and the honking and the big, tall buildings. And it, I think it all just hit her. And she was like, I don't want to do this. And she had looked so forward to She wanted to do it. And she's like, I don't, I don't want to do it. And so I had to, as a dad, I had to find that happy medium between encouraging her and being patient with her, and at the same time, helping her learn that she can do this. Helping her find the courage. Helping her find the, the you know, the, the, the ability to get through her fear, to get through her anxiety. And so this, this girl has never been in, like, hardly spent any time in a big city like Vancouver. And uh, certainly never rode up. you know, when we do a bike ride, I'm, I'm good for like one bike ride a year. And uh, it, it's like on Mission Creek and it's downhill one way. And then Ange picks us up in the minivan at the other end and brings us back with her. And, um, and so it's a trail. It's, you can come and go and wiggle. And it, but when you're on a street in downtown Vancouver, it's a different story. And it's intimidating. And I could tell she was so afraid. And so we, the, the, the hotel had this little back alley strip and I said, I tell you what, why don't we just walk, why don't we just walk the bikes, why don't we just ride the bikes together, why don't we just spend some time, and we just, we just, I was so patient, I was so proud of myself for being patient, and, um, and, and we just, we just rode up and down, and turned around, and learned how to balance, and turn, and learned all the, because diff- it's a big bike, and it's different, it's got the handbrakes and shifting gears, and, and, all that, and, um. And after a couple minutes, she's like, okay, I, I, I can do this. We can do this. And so then we went on this awesome bike ride downtown Vancouver. We went for cappuccinos and croissants to Cafe Artigiano, and we toured around. It was awesome. It was a great memory. And, and she, she did it. She overcame her fear. But, you know, there's something I learned about the Father's presence and the Father's love and being, being a father and, and understanding, something in that moment that, The Father's presence is not designed to just make us feel comfortable and woo us to sleep and just help us to be safe and help us. The Father's presence and spending time with the Father is to give us courage to get up, to keep going, to keep trying to try harder, to not quit. Spending time with the Father, being in His presence, being with Jesus is about giving us the courage to try something new, to grow. And the more we spend time with Jesus and the more we're with the Father's love and the Father's presence in our life, the more it helps us kind of be pushed out of the comforts of the nest to try something new because the Father is there. The Father believes in us. The Father is helping us. The Father is patient, is loving, is encouraging, is leading us forward. And throughout the history of the church, we have wrestled with the temptation to be comfortable. When Jesus resisted the temptation of the bread, he's modeling to the church, don't get too comfortable. Another is the temptation of the kingdom. Luke 4, 5-8 says, Then the devil took him up and revealed to him the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them. The devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. And I will give it all to you if you will worship me. And Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Jesus is is there, the enemy takes him up, the devil takes up Jesus and shows him all the kingdoms of the world, promises to give all of them to Jesus if Jesus will just bow down and worship the devil. And the lesson here is that every kingdom we choose, every kingdom that you choose comes with a king that will demand our affections and our loyalty. You cannot go to a kingdom, you cannot build a kingdom without having the loyalty and and, and commitment to the king. Jesus is teaching the church that we have to choose between building the kingdom of God or building a kingdom here on earth. And you know what? We can't have both. We can't serve two masters. Having one king, having a faith in one king means we are a part of one kingdom. We are building and serving in one kingdom. And throughout uh, the history of the church, we have been given in to the temptation to build our own kingdom. And as a result, we forsake the loyalty to the king of kings, to our first king. I spoke part of this uh, a couple weeks ago. If you missed it, it was a great talk. Um, it's on the web- website as a podcast uh, about the kingdom of God. And um, I'll, just, I'll just briefly say this uh, on this point, that when, when the church aligns itself to government and political affiliation, it will end up serving the interests of an earthly empire with an earthly king for an earthly agenda. Brian Zand, author of Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, says the kingdom of God is antithetical to the political interests of a military and economic superpower. And every time, here, here's, a, here's a blunt statement every time the church gets into bed with a political alliance, we will defile ourselves and corrupt the beauty of the gospel. Because we end up trying to take the kingdom and the gospel to serve a human agenda. And we will defile the beauty of the gospel. The early church had to decide between being faithful to God or being faithful to the Roman Empire. You see, the Roman Empire didn't care about the early church's belief in Jesus. The Roman Empire cared that they were being faithful and honoring another kingdom that was not the kingdom and not the empire of Rome. All they needed to do was say they're faithful and loyal to Rome. And all their troubles would have gone away. And they had to choose between what kingdom, what empire are they going to be faithful to? What empire are they going to build? And the church has wrestled with making empires out of our buildings and our programs and even our leaders. We continue to hear today story after story of influential pastors and speakers and Christian leaders who got sidetracked with building their own empire. They drifted into troubled moral ground and questionable ethics and and questionable behaviors. And so often, their boards and their staff and the people that were around them did not challenge them, did not hold them accountable, did not help them, did not speak into their life for fear it would shake the foundation of the empire, for fear it would stop the money, it would would cause conflicting stories, and that... um, it would risk hurting the empire that they were building. And you know, eventually the problems always seem to come out. And the damage is so often greater when it comes out later than if it could have been fostered and pastored and and dealt with in a mature way with, with people who love and encourage the leader and walk with the leader and help him. But instead it goes on and it goes on and it goes on and then it blows up. And the collateral damage is huge. So I've, I've been making some blunt statements in some of my talks lately. When, when a church or ministry has to compromise its standards to protect a leader, to keep the money coming in, to pay for the staff and the buildings and the jets, the church is no longer building the kingdom of God. They are building their own kingdom. They are building their own empire. And we need to be careful When a church or ministry is built upon the image and the personality and the control of one leader. Be careful of leaders who are full of pride and arrogance and get a swelled head and start to believe their own press. Because trading the kingdom of God for our own kingdom here on earth is a temptation as relevant today as it was for Jesus. And I will tell you that when you are a Christian leader, when you're a pastor, and your church grows, and there's momentum, and there's life, and there's good stories, and good things happening, it's very hard, it's very tempting to begin to think that you're hot stuff, and to think that it's about you, and to think, look at how good you are, and how, and, and it's a temptation for Christian leaders. It's a temptation for Christian churches and for ministries to build an empire, we look at them we say, that could be our empire here on earth, or we can have an empire, we can have God's kingdom in, in, the, in another place. Uh, the, the last temptation is corruption. Luke 4, 9, 12 says this, Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up for their hands so, so that you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. It's interesting to note that two of the temptations Jesus faces involve a demonstration of the supernatural power of God. One is to turn a stone into bread. The other is to have Jesus throw himself down and and have the angels and and have them them, uh, stop Jesus from falling and and to save him. to, To have this demonstration of supernatural power. Of all the things that Jesus could be tempted in, is it not interesting that he's tempted in this one? Why would the devil tempt Jesus to prove his power and God's faithfulness by performing a supernatural miracle? Why would that even be a temptation? Well, remember, the reason these particular temptations are recorded is for our benefit. They're for the benefit of the early church. Jesus is using these temptations to teach us what to watch out for. Think about how important the ministry of the Holy Spirit is for the early church. Think about how important the the supernatural miracles were to the empowering and equipping of the early church. Opening doors for the good news, for the gospel to spread. Bringing people to Jesus, building the church, extending the kingdom of God. The temptation in the early church was to misuse the gifts. Acts 8 18.23 18.23 says, when Simon, Simon is a sorcerer, says when, and, he, and, he, and he came to faith in Jesus, when, when Simon saw the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands will receive the Holy Spirit. And Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry, because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Simon wanted to use the gift of God. He wanted to use the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He wanted to take it and bend it and fashion it to his will to his agenda to help him have control over people to help elevate him in his standing with others that were around him he wanted to take the gift he wanted to it's the same temptation that Jesus has to throw down and to and to be saved and it's to the temptation to corrupt the gifts by using them to serve an agenda other than the kingdom of god Our propensity is to become starstruck by the leader who demonstrates the gifts. And maybe it's because we're so hungry to experience God and to encounter God that we forget to look at the character and the fruit and the depth behind the ministry and behind the person. And whatever the reasons are, we are to be careful of manipulating the ministry of the Holy Spirit to a self-serving and self-promoting agenda. And Jesus was tempted to use the supernatural gifts of the Spirit to serve an agenda other than building God's kingdom. We're going to get the band to come. We're going to get ready to close this morning. Uh, appreciate you uh, listening in on the, on the talk and being a part of this morning. These three, these three temptations which are, we believe, not the only temptations that Jesus faced, but the temptations that are recorded for our benefit, given to the early church, so as they walked out the book of Acts, they had a model for the temptations that would come their way, that they knew how to overcome them, so they could effectively live a life for Jesus. And they're applicable for us today. The temptation to being wooed to sleep in our comfort, the temptation of building our own kingdom, and the temptation to corrupt the things of the Spirit to fit our own agenda. These are, these are temptations that the early church had to overcome. They're temptations that, that we have to overcome in our own life today. And um, as we close, I would say that some of these things are making it hard for the church to move forward today in our culture. Sometimes we bump up against some of these things even in our own church. I met with uh, Lindsay, who's our Treehouse Kids Director, earlier this week. She goes, man, we, we need some more volunteers. Some of our volunteers are, are tired. They've stepped up because others have had jobs. They've gone away for summer. They're, they're, they've moved on. Um, we're short on, on, on kids' workers. She's like, what are we gonna do? We gotta do something. And I thought, you know, the irony is that we want... Like, we love, I, I, I've, I've dedicated like 10 or 11 kids since January, and we have like four more next month. We had three new babies born in our community in the last two weeks. I, I've got three weddings this summer that I'm doing. We love being a part of a community that has younger generations and younger couples and younger families. And, but you know what? church if you're here and you're not contributing you're not helping somewhere you're wearing some of us out because we believe in what god is doing and because we're here and we're going to pour out our life and we're going to believe that god is going to do something great in our community and couples are going to come to faith, and they're going to have kids, and they're going to commit them to Jesus, and we're going to have a great community with awesome kids, and you know what? We can't do that with just a handful of people, and that's only one area. That's only one part of our church. Comfort is killing our church, and I understand that there can be an aversion to programs and, and, and the machine of church and the And the busyness, and I hope you understand that's never our heart, our intent. We never want to be that. But it takes hands on deck to be the church. And there are lots of areas to help and contribute. And in the fall, we're gonna come and there's gonna be lots of new areas. And you know, some of you can help. But it's an inconvenience and it hurts your comfort. And so you, you push away. And you know, we, we believe, we have a vision that God's gonna do great, amazing things. And sometimes when I share visions, sometimes people say, they wanna know what's our future and where we're going. And I say, well, you know what, we're gonna do this. And you know, I, I would love to get to a place where we have a different building, where we can have a kitchen that we can cook food for our student lounge and our alpha, more than just a stove, where I don't have to write my sermons and do counseling in a Starbucks or a camper. Where i can have a bookshelf and we can study where we can have like where's we're gonna have a connections pastor where is that pastor gonna work from other than a laptop where do our kids have time to sing and a place to sing and learn about jesus and you know what we're making it work we are committed to make things work but the irony is this that sometimes when i share vision and i share hope and faith that we're going to grow and we're going to go forward and God's going to bless us with a building and it's going to be amazing. Do you know that sometimes people look at that with cynicism and they say it's about me and my agenda? And I would hope that you would know that our hope for the future is for a great, amazing, healthy community of people not to build our kingdom. I don't want to build our kingdom. You know what? If If our church grows and has more success and more life and moves forward, and it corrupts my heart, then keep me small, keep me where I am. Because I would not want to be a part of a tragedy and of a bad story. And so we protect one another, we encourage one another, we walk with one another, we believe with one another because we don't want to build our own kingdom. We want to build the kingdom of God. And we want to experience the things of the Spirit. We want to be open and receive the things of the Spirit, not make them about our agenda, but make them about God's agenda. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this community. I thank you for this church. I thank you for our young families and our couples and those that are engaged in getting married this summer, those who are having kids. Lord, may they find friends, may they find community. Jesus, for our young singles, our our young professionals, I pray, God, they would find community and find life and friends and, and just a great life, blessing. And Jesus, for all the stretching we have to do in faith to have enough finances to move into the future, to do what we're called to do, to be who we're called to be. Lord, we trust in you. Let it not be about our kingdom, but about your kingdom. And help us to covet and to value the presence of God in our community and not take it for granted. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts to receive more of you in the coming days. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Audio from the House. For more information or resources, visit us at thehouseonline.ca.